Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about the institutional investor versus the retail investor. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. All right. It is July 2nd. We're about to head into the July 4th weekend. I'm pretty sure everybody is um, probably going to be not working afternoon today and getting getting the party started early. Uh, you know, side note, I feel like I feel like after COVID, I've had multiple clients and people in my life talk to me about no longer being excited about like work. I mean, nobody was ever excited about work before, but folks are just tired. Like people are like, Philip, I don't want to wait to like live my life and retire at 65. That's too far away. Uh, I'm ready to like enjoy life now. And, I, and I'm talking like this has been not just these people who probably some of them don't even listen to my podcast. And this is just so they weren't they were not saying it because I've been saying it. They just have been like, I'm just tired of work. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to do this forever. So I don't know what COVID. I think I think we're going to look back. I think I've said this before. You have like the ways that we as humans break up time periods. We have like BC, we have AD, and now we're going to have like A, you know, AC after COVID because <laughs> COVID just changed everything. But let's, let's get into the topic today, right? So, but before I go, let me clarify something too because I've done so many seminars, podcast episodes. I don't remember where I said it, but it was at some point I was I was explaining that. I believe Bitcoin would be the best performing asset class over the next five years. And so a friend a friend of mine was like, yeah, so you don't think there's anything that's going to that's gonna be Bitcoin? And so I wanted to clarify it because if, if, if he misunderstood, uh, I need to clarify it. There, there are individual stocks that beat Bitcoin over the last five years. And and I believe gonna, there's going to be absolutely individual stocks and maybe even some small commodities that will likely that, that have a strong probability of beating Bitcoin over the next five years. And so when I say asset class, like I'm talking like an asset class, it's a whole asset class. So it is commodities as a whole, stocks as a whole, cash as a whole. And you can even divert it up into value stocks, growth stocks, small cap, large cap. So when I say asset class, I'm talking about a whole category of assets. I believe Bitcoin will uh, will, will, will beat them all. But there's going to be individual stocks that are that are going to beat Bitcoin, um, you're, you know, or, or I wouldn't or I wouldn't have in my portfolio in the macro opportunity strategies some individual stocks for diversification purposes because it's a, you know, you, you you would love to have multiple income streams or investments that have the probability of earning a similar return over time. That's true diversification. So now that's clarified, let's go into the institutional versus retail uh, investor. And so in today's marketplace, there are really two types of investors. There's the the retail investor, which is the individual investor. And then there's the institutional investor, which are like managed funds, endowments, foundations, pension plans, uh, wealth management firms. And so both of these groups are hoping to make good returns, uh, but they approach it a bit differently. And and, and, and this philosophy, you know, I, one of my mentors early on who really broke down and got me into the, and educated me on the wealth management business before I went fee only, he's still, I mean, he's still in the business and he's just a beast. I mean, I would love to be the kind of wealth manager that he is because he, he is in this business 
you know, my hero, Dallas-based guy, um, very successful, relatively young guy. And he kind of broke this down to me. Um, and so I've incorporated it into my investment philosophy, you know, since we had that, that long conversation. But you have these two types and the individual investors, they, they buy based on current or past performance because they typically haven't developed an investment discipline to evaluate opportunities, right? They, 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 they listen to rumors. They you know, nowadays join chat groups, get ideas from different friends, but they're, they're bringing in all this information, but they don't have like a process to evaluate it. So their process is just random based on gut feel or emotions or what they think or feel. Um, no process versus the institutional investor. They typically have a process around their uh, their investment discipline, which is what maybe it takes them longer to add new asset classes and new investments to their portfolio. But because they're not going to make it on an emotional whim, they're going to say, you know, here's our process. Here's our discipline. How does this fit into our process? If not, we need to rewrite a new process to make it fit in because you're not going to have them like with the Bitcoin sell off. I listened to a podcast the other day of a trading firm that works with institutions they're like yeah they weren't they were not selling like the institutions weren't selling the bitcoin it was the you know the retail folks the individual folks the institutions you know they said hey our allocation is one percent three percent five percent whatever it was and they used the dips as an opportunity to say hey you know we you know they may have had a glide pass they may have said we want to start with one percent but we want to slowly work up to two percent three percent so they use the dip to maybe say hey is it time to increase our allocation to maybe a two percent allocation since the price presented an opportunity so institutions make decisions very differently built around a plan and, and, in, and in my experience and our experience here at stonehill wealth management um, as a company uh, the institutional approach will produce a better investment outcome over the long term because you because you have a process and so we have an investment discipline um, that that we use uh, that we follow regardless of any like market movements or trends because we're an institution. So, um, you know, we, you know, for individual clients, since we're not managing a fund and we're managing, you know, money for individual clients in their own portfolios and, and their own accounts, it's tailored to each client's unique time frame, risk tolerance, goals, but it's guided by the same investment discipline and philosophy. So, and, and we build it around five principles, right? So first one is asset allocation, or what that basically means is what percentage of your money goes into which asset class. And and so simply, as I mentioned before, you know, five-year expectation is that Bitcoin as an asset class will outperform all the other asset classes, all things, you know. And so um, that doesn't mean we put, you know, the bulk of the assets, um, of clients into Bitcoin because we also got to factor in their unique time frame, risk tolerance, and goals, right? So, but 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 what it says is, okay, here's all the asset classes from a return standpoint. Here's what we expect to earn the most, the least, the whatever, right? And so we, you know, we have our our process for that, and then we we decide how much goes into which based on a client's time frame, risk tolerance, and goals. Macro opportunities. That's basically like what's going on with global growth, inflation. And technological trends, um, and so that that influences uh, how we determine the asset allocation. But it's looking at okay, global growth is the driver of which asset classes are likely to outperform, uh, you know, better or worse over the next over the time period. Inflation's a big driver, uh, and technolo- technological trends are also a really big driver. Technological trends being um, the trend from encyclopedia to Google, right, or the trend from us driving cars to Algorithms driving cars, or the, or the, just all these trends that I explained 
in a, in the previous episode where I went over our macro opportunity strategy and how we think about that, that that's a that's one of the factors. Like, what's the macro opportunities that we see over the over the long term? And 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 a and a big, you know, the the biggest driver of the three, uh, or they're all equally big, but inflation is like really important. Inflation, I call inflation like the tsunami, because I think a big another big problem for the wealth gap uh, in the world today is people don't understand how the current financial system is set up and it's, it's built around inflation. So inflation, if you don't understand it, is a tax, M- meaning if you put away money and your money grows at a higher rate than than inflation or the, the, the value of your money, it's fine, right? It's, it's the reason why people who, who own, you know, who do private equity or people who invest in assets that grow at a high rate than inflation, they do well because they understand, oh, okay, cool. They're going to make money worth less. So I'm going to invest my assets in things that will grow at a high rate. And I get a double whammy if I borrow m- money, which is which basically you're shorten, you're shorten the asset that's going to go down in value. So you say, listen, it's going to go down, so I'm going to borrow it. And as long as I could invested in things that grow at a higher rate than inflation and a higher rate than my borrowing rate, then I make even more money than just using my own money to invest in the rate, right? Because I'm shorting. You, you got two sides. You got the side with the investment that beats inflation, and then you're shorting uh, the weaker asset, which might be super technical, but the point is you get a double whammy if, you, if you're really smart about it. And so um, and, and so this is, this is the system, right? The system is intentionally built this way. Um, and I don't think it was nefariously you know, built this way um, I think there are nefarious actors, right? And I think that humans are humans and we we favor things that we shouldn't favor. But I think this is the way the system is built. And so part of it is education around how it works. And I'm saying this because people will say, well, hey, for my portfolio, I want to keep a lot of money in cash and bonds because I'm conservative. I'm like, mm, system is going to eat your stuff for lunch. You're going to get you're going to get overridden by that tsunami. That's a big part of understanding the macro opportunities. Um uh, in your portfolio. Third is diversification. So diversification basically is you're not going to make a killing in the short term, but you won't get killed either. And so just not being too greedy. Fourth one is rebalancing uh, periodically. So I don't believe in just buying and holding, uh, but we buy and rebalance systematically based on the macro opportunities, time, and asset allocation goals for the client. It's a process. And the fifth point is manage investment costs. So if you look at all the research or all the research I've done over the years at which, you know, how to pick funds for the portfolio, if you're, if you're including funds into your portfolio, you can look at manager experience. You can look at, you know, manager tenure. You can look at how they select stocks. You can look at value versus growth. You can look at all these things. And it basically boils down to like uh, the, 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 the only predictor for the factor that that you can look at that's going to help you predict the higher performing fund over time in whatever category you're looking at is going to be cost, right? Consistently, the lowest cost funds in the category are the top performers in the top quartile. And so for me, I'm like, cool, if we want to, if we get the asset allocation right, so we, so we know we want to own U.S. large cap stocks over a period of time, we know we want to favor that, then I want to go find a low cost, you know, fund that's going to get me the right allocation for what I need whenever possible. And it's as simple as that. And so those are the five principles that we use to build the portfolios. Nothing nothing over complex, relatively simple, but we are consistent and disciplined uh, at applying it to our clients' risk tolerance goals and time frame. There's another interesting study that I like to uh, reference. I like to look at every single year. I wrote I wrote about it 
in my retirement investing one-on-one book that sells on Amazon. And the and I, and I looked at, I looked at the, the the current findings and it's you know the truth is still there, but it's how does the individual investor perform relative to their own investments, right? Um, and so it studies it, it says hey, it, it looks over a twenty year period of time, it looks okay what is, what does the average equity investor earn on their money over time like their actual return and but and what did the actual what are actual the equities they were invested in earn over the same period of time? And so people might think. The same thing, right? What's the difference? I'm like, no, no. The equities might earn one thing, but the investors earn something different because, and they consistently underperform their own investments because they they have bad behavior, right? They they succumb to fear, greed, <laughs> lack of patience, short term thinking, right? They the tips and news headlines get them to make decisions that are that are just bad, right? And it is not just fear, right? Because fear is getting out of a portfolio when the market's going down. I think greed kills portfolios probably even more. Greed and lack of patience because people will say, oh, you know, my, my money isn't earning enough right now or my, or my money is underperforming this index over a period of time, not factoring in, yeah, but, you you know, you're, you're, you're looking at the S&P 500 index as a reference, but you have a globally diversified portfolio, you know, and you're looking at it over a two-year time frame. And so that's a that's not a good metric to look at because the S and P was the best performing asset class over you know the last period uh, point of time. But but because of, because you subscribe to because your process is around diversification, you want to be globally diversified. So you mean you're intentionally going to put your stuff in assets that are going to under underperform other assets a certain period of time for diversification purposes. But over the long term, right, you end up with a better risk adjusted return. And so these are these are small points that I think the individual investor just says, yeah, but I see that chart and I didn't beat that chart. That's that's not a great process. Uh, and that's why they consistently underperform uh, their own investments over time. Fear, greed, like a patient, short term thinking. Um, and 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 the and the and the margin is like why? Matter of fact, let me let me take a second and and actually I'm, I'm gonna pull up what those numbers are. And I'm looking on uh, IFA.com's website. They they published the the study from January first, two thousand one, to December thirty first, twenty twenty. And so the average equity investor uh, over that period of time earned roughly five point nine six percent on average a year on their money. The average global equity index portfolio that they that they created um, earned eight point two nine percent. And then S&P 500 over that period of time earned 7.3%. So whether you look at a global portfolio or the S&P 500, the average equity investor underperformed it significantly because they had bad behavior. This is one of the, the things that I, I like to educate people on is they, they think, hey, I want to get somebody to help me with my investment, like a wealth manager or a financial advisor to help me pick superior investments. I'm like, that's not what a, that's not what a wealth manager does or a financial advisor does. Not a, not a good one. Because you can you can get a good portfolio from like a target date mutual fund, or you can go to Row Advisor and get a good portfolio for cheap. Like you don't need a wealth manager to build you a good portfolio, or even to, you know, find a superior portfolio. Right? You need somebody to say, "Hey, I need to find a portfolio that's going to help me reach my goal." And again, target date funds can do that. If you say, "Hey, I want to retire in 2050," you can go buy a Vanguard target date 2050 fund. It's going to get you a good portfolio for for cheap. And so that's easy, cheaper than a wealth manager. What a wealth manager does is they're going to have a good process and they're going to tailor it to your specific needs and 
the real part that you're paying them for, uh, in, in, in my opinion, is to keep you on track with your goals, to keep you from investing based on tips, hints, guides, what CNBC says, to keep you from bailing out of a portfolio when the market's going crazy, to keep you dollar cost averaging into your uh, portfolio, to keep you from getting uh, impatient in the short term and saying, oh, this is boring. I should have made more money over the last two years and to help you uh, readjust uh, your, 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 your gaze towards the future, right? Because the investor has to have faith, patience, and discipline to be a successful investor. And so we're all human. And so we all at times are going to lack faith, patience, and discipline. And so the wealth manager, the good wealth manager is there to, you know, I'm here to let my clients borrow my faith, discipline, and patience when when theirs is a when theirs is a bit short, and I think that's the that's the biggest benefit. It's kind of like a personal trainer, you know. I think about my life, and you know how how old am I? I'm 37 now, so it's taken me literally 20 years to get back in shape. I, you know, I, I I used to work out in high school and college. Like I I know what to do. I just with all responsibilities and everything, like my emotions kept me from working out for the hour and hour and a half needed every single day to work out. But but then I. You know, got a coach, meaning a Muay Thai trainer. I show up consistently. I have accountability. I know that if I if I don't work out and I don't do my training, that when I go to spar every single week, multiple times a week, I get my ass kicked. You know what I'm saying? It's accountability. <laughs> you know, it's accountability. And so um, with accountability, we all can easily rise to the occasion. And without it, it's tough, right? Without it, I was 20 pounds heavier. You know, um, same with investing. Like without it, investors underperform their own investments. You don't have to beat the market average. The problem is the investor doesn't even get the market average because they're underperforming because they don't have a process. They don't have accountability. And and so this is our process and and I and I'm preaching, but I want people to know this is the value uh, of a good wealth manager, right? Of a good financial advisor. And that's what I got. I hope this helps somebody. I hope you enjoy your 4th of July weekend. I hope y'all watch the Tomorrow War because I'm going to be watching that tonight on Prime Video. It's, it's the uh, uh, Independence Day, I guess, remake 20 years later that, that used to have um, Will Smith in it. But uh, enjoy your whatever, four-day, three-and-a-half-day weekend, and I'll talk to y'all Monday. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.